I want to get to the end of life feeling like I've left nothing on the table. To do that, you need to know that there's a table and you need to know what's on it for you. (laughs) You need to be looking at that (laughs) and recognizing that tomorrow is not guaranteed. This time we have is really precious. Hello and welcome to Also in Pink, the podcast all about lifestyle design, how we live, the clothes we choose, and how we organize our space. I'm your host, Alexandria Lawrence, a certified KonMari consultant and personal stylist. I'm here to guide you on your journey to live a happy, fulfilled life. Every Tuesday, you'll get new insight on what it means to live well, plus actionable tips. Redefine what's possible and create your ideal life. Our guest today is leadership coach and comedian Pam Dibbs. Pam has been an entrepreneur for 30 years and her latest undertaking is The Good Death Project, based on the premise that a good death requires a life well lived. We explore how having a relationship with your own mortality leads to living a fuller, more vibrant life. We talk style and certain fashion disasters as Pam recalls the day she spent many years ago with the People's Princess. Yes, that's right. Princess Diana. Pam, welcome. Thank you so much for being here. I'm delighted to have you on the show. I am so happy to be here. I just so appreciate you reaching out and inviting me. Yeah, pleasure. And we're both part of this entrepreneurial community. And on a recent group call, I remember you saying something that really spoke to me. You said a good death requires a life well lived. And I thought, yes, please, I must have you on the podcast since Also in Pink (laughs) is all about exploring what it means to live well. Yeah, you honestly couldn't have picked a juicier topic for me. I hope that you've got the rest of the day free because, you know, we might need it. (laughs) Excellent. (laughs) That's the enthusiasm I like. That premise that a good death requires a life well lived is a lifelong journey for me in discovery. I was somebody that grew up with a mother that had been diagnosed with young onset Parkinson's disease and was sort of very much aware and reminded daily of the fact that tomorrow is not something you can take for granted. That sense of preciousness about today was something that I just grew up with and I'm so grateful for. It really has helped me live a life where I am bold. I'm able to let go of things that are dead in my life. The other piece of this is that I spent quite a lot of time with people at the end of life. One of the things that is very well known is that people often get very clear about their priorities at the end of life. And there isn't time to do anything about it then. So I want to sort of fast forward that prioritization reckoning that people have. While there's still time and to make life count while there's still time. Absolutely. I think that's such an important concept, making life count while there's still time. And that's what I'd like to do with my business as well. I think you can approach it from many angles. 
it's still a challenging thing perhaps to reverse that dying with regret trend. So why do you think it is that so many of us wait until the last possible moment to really look at our lives and think, oh, we could have perhaps done this? Is it procrastination or what have you found in the people you've worked with? You know, I I think there are a few things. Western culture, certainly death is still something that's quite taboo. You know, it really is seen as quite impolite in many conversations to bring it up (laughs) and people get really uncomfortable about it. And I think there's a lot of, well, the best thing is, you know, to just be in denial and not think about it. And I think it costs us a lot when we do that. And those costs are quite invisible until we get to the end of life. If we don't have some kind of relationship with death, I'm not saying that we have to love the idea. (laughs) That's probably going to be a stretch for most folks. But having some kind of relationship with it, for instance, Steve Jobs had a wonderful practice every day. And he would look at himself in the mirror every day and say, if today was the last day of my life, would I want to do what I'm about to do today? And if the answer was no for more than two days in a row, he would drastically change what he was doing. And he credits much of his success and his achievements in life with his relationship to death. So for me, it's like, let's get a little friendlier with it and actually have it be a force for good in our lives. And I think one of the things that this can sound like, which I hope it doesn't, is that it's about getting busy. What I usually find it means when you get really clear about what's very important in your life is it means the opposite. It means slowing down and really being present in our relationships with our loved ones and taking time to smell the roses or even notice the roses And there's something about being touched by life when we are present to it. Just yesterday, I was doing the very important task of, you know, putting out the bins. (laughs) And I noticed that this tree that has obviously been in my yard for 16 years had these red berries on it that I'd never seen before. And I was like, wow, every year it's been doing that. And I've never noticed until today. (laughs) And how many times have I walked past it to get in the car? There's something about this endless opportunity to be touched in such amazing ways when we're more present to how amazing it is that we're here and how short and precious it is. I think that opportunity to be touched by life is a really powerful concept and it's certainly a very KonMari concept as well. I remember when I was training to be a KonMari consultant with Marie Kondo and her team, the first evening we were all together, there was this lovely activity where we were in bustling New York and they said, 
whatever your feelings about you know big city life since there were quite a few people from all parts of the world who weren't used to that kind of bustling diverse city and they said just go out this evening and see how you can find joy in unexpected places and people had these amazing stories the next day of just these simple things that they noticed which perhaps they would have overlooked before or even some who weren't so fond of New York had a newfound appreciation just by, you know, taking that time and actively looking for something positive. So I think that's a powerful idea. Absolutely. And it can seem so simple that I think that can mask how powerful it is. I do a lot in the corporate world and I'm not sort of brought in as, hey, come and talk to our leaders about death. You know, I haven't had that phone call yet. Yeah. You know, I'm still waiting for that one. But this is weaved into everything I do. So I'll give you an example, which I think might be helpful for listeners to think about how to use this. Recently, a client I'd worked with a while ago reached out to me and I hopped on the phone with her and she was in a pickle. She'd been offered this amazing new job, which on paper looked great. And as I was hearing her talk about it, I was hearing her energy get lower and lower and lower until it was in her boots. And so I asked her, if you knew this was the last job you would ever take, would you take it? And she was like, hell no. (laughs) Yeah. It was a full body no. Just when you notice that you're trying to convince yourself to stay in a job that really hasn't been working for you, and you're a full body no, (laughs) and you're trying to convince yourself (laughs) and justify why to stay or why to stay in a relationship that really has come to an end, or it might be just even your relationship with your own health. Think about if this was the last week of my life, or this was the last day or the last month, what would I decide? And so I think that's a great place to start is just to start to bring in a little bit of this knowing that our time is really precious here. And we really get a lot of choice and autonomy in how we show up, what we choose to do and don't do. And changing our mind is like one of the greatest gifts of the human experience. (laughs) It's like we get to make a decision and then change our minds about it. We can bless and release. You can bless and release careers, we can bless and release relationships and be so grateful for what they've brought to us. I mean, that's the ultimate question, isn't it really? Is this the last job you would ever take? Or if this were the last week of your life, is this the choice you'd make? I think it puts it into perspective, doesn't it? It really does. But let's be able to talk about death with a little more ease with each other be able to raise it with our aging parents, be able to have conversations about end of life rather than trying to figure it all out. 
at the end when somebody's really sick. And that adds so much stress and burden to families, the way we're doing it right now. And why are we doing that? We're trying to be polite so we just don't bring it up. Or we do something funny like, hey, dad, I'm going to make some toast. Oh, I cremated the toast. While we're talking about cremation, (laughs) have you ever thought about it? You know, like we try to sort of slip it in, you know, squeeze it in to the conversation. It's not working. (laughs) So addressing that elephant in the room then, how do you broach the subject? How do you start talking about death in a helpful and even life-affirming way? I just think really coming from your heart. And you might start with, hey, I wanted to have a conversation about something that's probably going to be hard for us to talk about. And I've been struggling to bring it up. And I wondered if you'd be open to a conversation about it. It doesn't mean we have to have it now. I often think priming for these kind of conversations is really helpful. So that you don't kind of bombard somebody in the moment because it's on your mind, but ask, you know, would this be a conversation that you'd be open to have and then have it another day if it doesn't feel like today's the right day? But really being in relationship about it is the key thing. I don't think there's any sort of set way to start it or to say it, but I think gently as an approach and priming and asking permission and taking somebody with you on the journey, and just coming from your heart. And that reminds me so much of marketing or branding. It's that kind of awareness stage where you don't just plonk someone with your offer right away because they won't necessarily be ready for it. But if you uh, broach the subject a bit and see how open people are to it and then gradually bring it around, I think uh, that makes a lot of sense, really. I think when conversations are tough and we start to talk about it, we can easily ambush because it's been top of mind for us for a while, you know, and (laughs) we're so grateful to start talking about it. And, And so I would resist the ambush and really sort of check for where the other person is at, how they respond. And if they're really not open to the conversation, They're really not open to the conversation. It doesn't mean they won't be at a future time. But you know what? Most folks who are aging, in my experience, are really relieved to talk about it. It's on their mind a lot. And they don't know how to bring it up. I think bringing it up is just seeing that you're being in service and it coming from love. I don't know how we could go wrong. That's a wonderful and very helpful way of looking at it, I think. The other day, my husband and I went out for a meal. So exciting, post-lockdown, to be in restaurants, having a (laughs) meal. Oh, And he'd finished his food and he looked over at me and he said, oh, you haven't drunk your wine or eaten your fries. And, of course, he looks very shocked because I'm – Irish by descent and potatoes are generally not safe around me you know they will not be left (laughs) and so I said the fries are cold and the wine's not good and life's too short for bad wine and cold fries 
And, you know, it really is. <laughs> well, hello. Can I just say thank you? Thank you for listening. And if you're enjoying the show, it would mean the world to me if you'd rate and review also in pink. I'll make it super easy for you. And you can even win a prize. Submit your review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts for a chance to win a 20-minute one-to-one virtual coaching session with me. Pick my brain about life, KonMari, or style. I'll announce the monthly winner on each Ask Alexandria episode, so be sure to listen out to see if your review gets picked. All you need to do is go to ratethispodcast.com slash also in pink and rate and review the show. Want tips on how to win? Write something genuine. Be thoughtful and let your personality shine through. Bonus points for a dash of charm. And for your weekly dose of podcast joy, subscribe to Also in Pink so you never miss a show. Thank you so much. You really are a star. So one of the things I do is stand-up comedy. So I talk about death using comedy. And I find when we have more of a relationship with death, we are lighter about life. Like we don't sweat the small stuff. We have more of a sense of what really matters. And we find more humor in just daily life. It's what I call being light-minded, having this lightness and levity. I don't know, Alexandria, whether you've ever noticed this when you've lost a loved one. But there's often a lot of humor as well as sadness. As people share stories about them, they'll often share funny stories. Recently, a few months back, lost my father. And even losing my father in London, while I'm in Seattle, my sister's in Canada, my brother's in Italy. And, you know, during the pandemic, with all of the added restrictions that put on us, It was amazing for the few people who could get together at the funeral to just notice that lightness and humor was there. Of course, the sadness of the loss, but also that levity was there as well. And the levity could really honor that person's life as well. So it's not just all about you and your sadness, but celebrating them and uh, yes, and finding that little spark that they they offered. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And I think it's really natural for us to do that. I love the fact that we're moving more to have celebrations of life. We actually call it that often. And, you know, we really are looking at sort of celebrating what this person brought to us, because none of that goes away. Exactly. And I love that comedy is part of your arsenal as well. I imagine that's very handy speaking about death which could potentially be quite a heavy subject and uh, finding those places to lighten it. And I think you've also spoken at leadership events and use humor to help people see how they can get in their own way, perhaps, and then give them that little nudge and reminder that they could do things differently. So do you have an onstage experience you'd like to talk about? I find the human experience endlessly funny. It really is. It's also wonderful But the more we understand the weird, the more we experience the wonderful. 
So using humor to sort of point to how much burden we put on ourselves, whether it's stress and pressure, which often look like they come from our circumstances, but actually never do. They really are optional, but it doesn't look like they are. So I totally get how we get fooled. And that's part of the weirdness of the human experience, you know. (laughs) And so to just point to that and make fun of it, one of the exercises I love is from a coach called Steve Chandler, and it's called The Perfect System. So whatever it is you're struggling with, you have created a perfect system for that thing. Because every system is perfect for the results it gets, right? From systems theory. So, you know, give you an example. Let's just say I'm thinking about a client I had. He comes in, we'll call him Jim. He's completely overwhelmed, he tells me. I'm just up against it. You know, my blood pressure's gone up. I'm now on medication. He's in it and it looks very real to him. And I say, so Jim, it sounds like you have a good system for overwhelm. I want you to teach your system for overwhelm to me as if I've never been overwhelmed before in my life. Like, what's the first thing I would do in the morning? And he got really into it. And he's like, Pam, well, don't get a good night's sleep. No, <laughs> wake up, skip breakfast. You want to go straight to email. <laughs> then be in back-to-back-to-back-to-back meetings. Don't do any forward planning for your calendar. You'll just deal with that tomorrow. and skip lunch because you know like hydration and lunch it's just for lightweights and if you think you're gonna get sick I want you to ramp up the pressure on yourself because you could be out in a day or two and then you should volunteer on your team volunteer for some tasks and new projects and I'm like why would you volunteer Jim and he said because you have to have your peers understand the true magnitude of your martyrdom and he started rolling around laughing at himself because he started to see how he was creating his own overwhelm and because he started to see it he started to see how he could uncreate it too but humor allows people to cope create and connect it's kind of this magic I think it's underutilized in life, in leadership, in relationships. I have been married for 28 years and I credit humor (laughs) for being in a happy marriage for that long and continue to just adore my husband. And, you know, of course we have our moments, but to be in a relationship for that long and to still really enjoy being in that relationship and and we actually run a business together too so humor's the superpower for me (laughs) relationship superpower yeah so speaking of comedy then do you have a stand-up routine or sketch or something comedy related that you'd like to treat us to I really like to make fun at the human experience and how we are in life. So like right now, I've been doing a lot of stuff around menopause because that's an experience I'm going through. I've been hit by the menopause truck. One of the pieces I do is around what would it be like if men had the same symptoms that women do, 
during menopause. Well, it would be called menopause. <laughs> and it would be this huge rite of passage and this amazing time in life. You know, if a man had a hot flash in a meeting, he would just rip off his shirt and people would come in and mop his brow and remember names for him. <laughs> <laughs> and then Ford would manufacture an F-150 menopause truck and men would brag about their hot flashes. You know, hey, Carl, how many of you had today? Because they would see it as a, a sign of deep insight and wisdom and people would gather around and applaud them. But just having a lot of fun with how we are in life. And so a lot of my comedy is just about what is Pam noticing in her own life? And, and then my little funny quirks, you know, like I was noticing that there's an unprecedented use of the word unprecedented. And that had me chuckle for a, a good week. <laughs> you know, just noticing these weird things, like being in lockdown. There was one day where I was driving my car and I was staying five feet from the car in front at the traffic lights. <laughs> you know, like, which we're so confused, you know, we don't know what to do. And so we've just got this, I've got to be five feet from any, <laughs> anyone, you know, and I'm just like, what am I doing? You know, but yeah, just finding fun and lightness. I think one of the things I've always done is looked through life, through the lens of what's funny about this. So my husband and I would write comedy if we were bored on a plane. We would just oh. write comedy sets. And I thought every couple did this. <laughs> I started asking couples, like, what do you write comedy about? And they're like, what? We don't write comedy. I'm like, you don't write comedy sets about your life? You know, this is like a really missed opportunity in relationships. And so it's been like this really amazing thing in my relationship. And my husband's mission in life is that every day to make me laugh once and then everything else is gravy. That is a wonderful mission. I think <laughs> we could all adapt that. <laughs> <laughs> and he does it. He really, really does it. He's the funniest person I've ever met. Yeah, he's hilarious. It's usually just weird, quirky things. Like the other day, I'm obsessed with the Olympics. So I'm watching the Olympic trials. Oh. And uh, if I have bags under my eyes, that is why. This week, the gymnastics has been finishing and getting on the gymnastics US Olympic team is harder than getting a gold medal at the Olympics. But I was watching some of the track and field and my husband happened to be like walking past the TV when the gun went off for the 200 meters final for the women's. And he happened to be carrying a couple of cushions. And so he <laughs> made out that he'd been shot. And he did this like dramatic fall to the floor onto the cushions because the gun had gone off. And it just the timing of it was so perfect. <laughs> I was crying with laughter, but that's our lives. Just laughing about silly stuff. So has he got his humorous bit in yet today? Or I guess it's a bit early for you, maybe. It's a little bit early. Yeah, a little bit early. He's not a morning person. Okay. <laughs> we can forgive him for that. Though. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was also noticing with the gymnastics that we kind of suddenly become an expert because we've been watching the Olympics a few times, you know, I'm like, mm, yeah, she really under rotated on yeah. that vault. 
Yeah. I have no idea what I'm talking about, <laughs> you know, but we just pick up these terms from the commentators and then we use them. It just cracks me up. And how disappointed are we when they do their amazing somersaults, backflips, da, 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 and it's just incredible. You just don't even think that a human could do it. And then they land and they take a tiny step and we go, oh, blew it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, like as if everything that went before was irrelevant because of the tiny step. In psychology, isn't it the end of an encounter that kind of solidifies your memory of it? It is. Oh, yes. I find that idea fascinating. So maybe it's an extreme version of that. We've forgotten everything else and just focus on that landing. And that ties into one of the things we talked about earlier, which is this idea that we get really funky about endings. So we hang on to things that are dead in our lives, you know, because we think to end it, would say something about what it had brought to our lives, would have some kind of judgment about what had gone before. But I actually think endings are really amazing times to celebrate, whether it is the loss of a loved one. I love the fact that we're celebrating more the life and what people brought to us. I also would love to see people having some kind of moment when things end to reflect, maybe a ceremony. I actually had a team. We did a ceremony, a death ceremony around a project that had to end. And it had to end in a really unexpected way, like a new decision got made and the organization was moving in a completely different direction. And it was really tough for the team because they had a lot of sunk cost bias. You know, we've invested for a year in this project we can't just walk away, but it was actually a really good decision to walk away. So we created a ceremony, a memorial, if you like, for the project. And we really celebrated what it had brought and what they had learned from it and how much teamwork was involved. And none of that gets lost. That all gets taken into the next thing you do as a team. Just so much richness in endings. Oh, I love that. So much richness in endings and having a death ceremony for all sorts of aspects of your life, whether it's a project that didn't go quite to plan. I think that's rather wonderful because it adds the humorous element as well. I mean, you could literally burn it if you wanted to. or Yes, you could do all sorts of things. Yeah, you can just have a lot of fun with these events, whatever you want to call it, a ceremony or some kind of ritual. But yeah, I think it adds a lot. That makes me think of rather an unintended one in my life. And this was a couple of years ago, just when I finished my KonMari training course. And several years before, my first kind of entrepreneurial venture was to write and illustrate this book, which was a beautiful thing but I didn't know anything about branding or marketing at the time and, and didn't figure out how to sell it effectively. And so we still had about 4,000 copies of the book, mostly in storage. And I got a phone call from my husband in the middle of a train journey through Delaware <laughs> on my way back to New York. And he said that there had been a fire in a warehouse and it happened to be the one that had all of my books. 
And so they all went up in flames. It, it kind of brought some sadness, but also a sense of satisfaction and ability to really fully move on. So even though it was a kind of death ceremony that I didn't control, I still <laughs> enjoyed the uh, the fruits of it, I guess. I love that. That even though it was not something you would have chosen, and isn't that life, unexpected, unwanted events, it should be our expectation, <laughs> you know? <laughs> How is it happening for me rather than to me? Can we hold them with some curiosity and some lightness and let go of the grip of how we expected it to go. Like there's a lot of gripping and a lot of our anxiety and stress, I think, is all rooted in our messed up relationship with death. If you really bring the layers back and back and back, it's my belief that our messed up relationship with death is costing us our lives. Because for so many people, this sort of running on high functioning anxiety, I see it so often in organizations, it's sort of a status symbol to be really overwhelmed and exhausted. In most organizations, it still is. It would take quite a cultural shift to think of work and life more holistically. But I think we've proven in the last year and a half that we can adapt to change more quickly than perhaps we thought. So there's nothing like living through a global pandemic to make us all face our mortality in some ways. So how about you? How has the pandemic affected you? Have you had any kind of lockdown realization that's changed your perspective or your priorities? It's been a really rich time for me. In coaching, we're always looking to disrupt the status quo. So really, this level of disruption, not just the pandemic, but everything that's going on, the disruption, climate change, you know, just all of the disruption that has been really front and center for the last 18 months. It's been this enforced disruption, and I think it's forced us all to slow down and reflect. And like you say, face mortality in a way that in our busyness, we didn't have to. You know, when our lives are so full, you really can just be moving from one thing to another to another. And when all of that got taken away, I think it was a beautiful opportunity. And certainly for me, one of the things I loved about it was that it busted some of my own myths. So I would have said to you 18 months ago that I could not run my leadership coaching business without being in person. And I would have been really wedded to that as a concept. And I completely busted that myth. <laughs> so within a month, I had migrated everything I did in person to virtual. And I even made one of my programs better by making it a virtual program. And so I am taking 150 leaders through a program in an IT group in a Fortune 50 company. And that all came out of me really just taking a fresh look at how I ran coaching skills for leaders. And I can do it from anywhere in the world. So it's really opened up for me a lot of opportunity. We're thinking about doing some more traveling because really I can be location independent. And I would never have said that was true 18 months ago. 
So I love that I'm just busting my own myths and self-created rules. <laughs> the one thing I don't love doing remotely is stand-up comedy. So being in a Zoom room with everyone on mute, it's a little brutal for the comedian. Oh, gosh. Of course, but you need that feedback, don't you? Yeah, comedy is really two-way experience. And so have you tried it without having everyone on mute? Does that work? No, because I usually <laughs> do comedy sets to big groups. And so you get a lot of background noise. But everything else I do, whether it's one-on-one, -on -one, working with teams or running leadership programs, actually, I could say confidently now, I have made it better by bringing it online. So that has been just a huge, huge gift. And then the other thing is my husband hasn't been traveling because he's in film production and works on location a lot. And so it's just been lovely I'm now sort of going through my second summer where he's not traveling a ton. And that's been really unusual for us. And I've just been loving it, just having him around and hanging out with him in the summer because I don't really usually get to do that much. Yes. And will that change when we're truly post-pandemic, do you think? Because he realized that he would like to be home more. He's talking about maybe traveling less, but also now that I can be anywhere, I could actually be with him more. So that has really just opened up some fun conversations about what's possible. I think that's wonderful to see what might at first seem like quite a huge setback as an opportunity and having that curiosity to take it forward and explore and as you've done, find a solution that actually works better for your business and even your relationship going forward. Yeah, I think one of the things that has been a gift is that everything's uniquely unfrozen and it doesn't have to land back the way it was. A concern I have is that people are rushing back to some kind of idea of the old normal. I'd love for us to never waste a good crisis, <laughs> you know, is to really look at fresh. What do we want now? like bringing people back into organizations, you know, they have become used to so much more autonomy and so much more empathy. Well, let's not lose that as we bring people back into the office because it's been delightful. You know, it's been really amazing to see that. There's just a lot that we can benefit from by things being uniquely up in the air uniquely up in the air that's a wonderful <laughs> way to look at it yeah I think that would be more than a shame I mean it would be a tragedy really to have everything go back to the way it was but I think that's why it's so important to keep having these conversations and challenge one another to really explore this new opportunity we've been given imagine if you live the life you really want you know your dream life have you ever taken time to picture what it would look like? I mean, what it would really look like? We're not talking about the life you feel you should have, but deep down, the life you secretly want, your ideal life. Maybe you already have a vision. 
You wake up after a good night's sleep on the most comfortable mattress ever, with pillows that support your head just the way you like. You go to your organized closet and choose colorful, unique clothes that fit you and make you feel good. Then pad through a clean, warm, uncluttered home to the kitchen. Your refrigerator offers up the most delicious, healthy options for breakfast. And you have a day of unstructured time stretching ahead of you to do with as you like. But that's never going to happen, right? Wouldn't it be nice to take a step back, sweep aside all your worries, and imagine that's where I come in? I'm your host, Alexandria Lawrence, and I've developed an exclusive questionnaire for the Also in Pink community to help you create a vision of your ideal life. Simply join the Also in Pink email list and you'll get instant access to our Ideal Lifestyle Vision questionnaire. Go on then. Make a cup of your favorite tea or whatever floats your boat. Go to alsoinpink.com and click start now. Redefine what's possible and create your ideal life. And I see on your website that you spent a day with Princess Diana. So I, did. I feel like I have to ask you more about that. <laughs> <laughs> well, many, many, many years ago, back in the UK, I was working for the Health Education Authority for their No Smoking Day campaign. And so this was when the UK was first bringing out its legislation around having smoke-free workplaces. And we were kind of late to that party. (laughs) And so I was involved in the No Smoking Day campaign. So I said, well, we need a VIP. Why don't I write to Princess Diana? And everyone was like, oh, you won't get her, you know. (laughs) And I was like, well, who knows? So I wrote and she said yes. And I hosted her for a day. And It was amazing. She was delightful. I honestly felt like I could have just gone down the pub with her and had a decent glass of wine, (laughs) not a crappy one. But, you know, she really was very interested in me and what I did and fascinated by the work we did and just very engaged. And she spent some time with folks that had smoking-related diseases. And she was so loving and compassionate and present with everybody she met that day, including me. It was very powerful. But you know, my main memory from the day is that I was helping a friend out who'd gone through a really tough time. And I'd actually spent two nights sleeping on her floor, the two nights before this event. And I didn't have my outfit with me that I was meant to wear, you know, for the event. (laughs) I bought an outfit and I didn't have that. And I didn't have any of my hair stuff or, you know, (laughs) my shoes, you know, like I didn't have any of it. So this is like a style crisis. And I was like, you know what? I prioritize helping my friend. And let's just say somebody was having a bad hair day and it wasn't the princess. these photos and I just (laughs) laugh when I look at what I look like 
I'm like, oh. I really did show up looking like that to host <laughs> Princess Diana. This is true. Oh, that's wonderful. Well, that makes it even more memorable and special. It was very memorable. And I'd be surprised if she noticed it all. So, <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Talking about style, because I, I know that's one of your favorite topics. She just had this incredible style. And there was one point where I realized I was like staring at her skin because oh. it was completely flawless and it wasn't makeup. I've never seen skin like that before, <laughs> you know, like it was just flawless. And she just had such an elegance and style, stylishness about her that, <laughs> that added to this very big heart. And speaking of style, you have some rather fabulous blue streaks in your hair. So yeah, how would you describe your personal style? Oh, I am a lover of fashion. And yeah, the blue hair, it's become a kind of signature thing where it was actually my husband's idea. Oh. And he was very specific about the shade of blue. It had to be this cornflower blue. And when I first went to get it done, they did a more teal blue and it just didn't work. And he then started to mix the color for me. So <laughs> amazing. <laughs> so I he, love that. <laughs> I know. I know. So it's a very particular shade that you can't just buy. It has to be mixed. So for a while, I stopped having it just for a change. And it was so funny because lots of the men in my life complained. They love the blue hair. You know, like coaching friends. And yeah. They're like, where's the blue hair? <laughs> we love the blue hair. So it was really interesting how much reaction I got when I didn't have it. And so, yeah, I've had it again for probably about a good two years. What was that like at the height of the pandemic then? Are you able to do it yourself at all or do you need to go somewhere to have it done? I have it done professionally like every couple of months, two or three months, but then I can actually keep it maintained myself. So it really wasn't a huge issue. I had my husband do it during the pandemic. Oh, great. He did a great job. He's so good. <laughs> he, he would have a second career for sure as a hairstylist if he needed it. Oh, Fantastic. Yeah. And then just in terms of style, I, I think growing up in London, it would be hard not to be influenced by fashion. It's just part of the culture and it's in the air. And so for me as a kid, not being able to afford to buy clothes that I wanted and I had a couple of friends who were really into it as well. And we would go into shops and endlessly try things on that we couldn't afford to buy. <laughs> And there was such a joy in just seeing how they looked and putting things together, you know. So we probably drove the store assistants crazy, you know, because <laughs> just the sort of customers you don't want who just spend hours in the fitting room and then never buy anything. And we get very excited when there was a sale and we might be able to actually purchase something. And so when I became an adult and I started to have some money and I could actually pay for some clothes. It was just such a treat for me to do that. And, you know, there are a couple of brands that I really love. And there's a brand called Ellie Tahari. I just love their clothes and their staff are really well trained. So I have like a personal shopper 
in the oh. California store. So she will actually call me and say, hey, Pam, I think you're going to love this. And she'll actually Perfect. put me on FaceTime and show me. And sometimes she'll try it on because she's a really similar size and she'll show me what it looks like. And so that oh. has been just a lot of fun. How delightful. That's the relationship we all need to cultivate in our favorite shops. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And do you have any kind of daily habits or ritual that brings you joy? Oh, I would say that rather than having a daily thing that I have to do for my joy, my ritual is to be tapped in to what today is calling for in terms of joy, because it really varies. Like this morning, I woke up strangely early, which is really unusual for me. And I just spent some time sitting on my deck while it's nice and cool because we're having this strange heat wave here in the Pacific Northwest. So it was 110 degrees here a couple of days ago. And we don't have air conditioning in these parts. But the mornings have been cool and especially today it's cooling off. And I just sat on the deck with my two cats and just listened to the birds and just really enjoying that early morning quiet. So that's what it was today. But every day it's something different. And I'm just sort of tapped into what's being called for or what's the opportunity in this moment. Yes, that's the ultimate daily habit that brings you joy, I think, to really be tapped into what you need in the moment. That's wonderful. And what's your top tip for living well? Something listeners could take away with them and applying their own lives? My top tip for living well, I would say, is having some kind of relationship with death and bringing that into your decision-making to start to talk about it more and just be with the discomfort of that. In the beginning, it gets easier. But even just being with yourself about it first and just having some kind of relationship with it. Yeah, that would be my top tip. And the other, the, can I have a second? Please go for it. Breaking the rules. That might be my third top tip. <laughs> There's a lovely quote from Eckhart Tolle that really changed my life a number of years ago. And it is, worry pretends to be necessary and we confuse it for caring. Oh, Yeah, honestly, it was you know, one of those, like somebody had hit me around the head moments when I read it. And it has just been a really powerful understanding for me. It's really easy to think that by worrying about stuff that's going to happen or has happened or people in our lives or loved ones, that's how we care for them. But actually, we can care without worrying. We're actually more caring when we're not worrying. And so what's the best way for listeners to connect with you and have more Pam in their lives? Oh, if you want to see some little funny comedy clips, go to Instagram or YouTube. I have a few of those up. Pam Dibs. You can also sign up for my mailing list on dibsonlife.com. And there will be much more coming about the Good Death Project. That's the best place to sign up if you want to hear more about that. So Pam, you're the founder of the Good Death Project based on the premise that a good death requires a life well lived. So how do you educate and support people through the Good Death Project? Yeah, well, 
Alexandria, you have the scoop here because this is really new and fresh. <laughs> so you heard it here first. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, it is a movement actually, is my hope for what this is. I'd really love to start a global conversation about death and mortality to create more ease and have people live fuller lives. And, you know, really for me, I want to get to the end of life feeling like I've left nothing on the table. To do that, you need to know that there's a table and you need to know what's on it for you. (laughs) You need to be looking at that. And recognizing that tomorrow is not guaranteed. This time we have is really precious. Initially, what this is going to look like is I'm working on a documentary. And then I'm also going to have a podcast. Oh, yeah, I'm getting into the podcast game. Exciting. (laughs) And there'll be a number of other ways to be engaged and connect. I'm thinking that there will also be a membership. I'm hoping to encourage people to have ending events and ceremonies and coach people through what that would look like. And I'd love for all of that to be community-led rather than it relying on a lot of Pam. So really starting that spark and then having it live on its own and develop. Yeah. So I'm writing a TED Talk and doing more comedic speaking about this topic, especially how much it can help leaders and teams and organizations. So that's what it looks like initially. You heard it here first. (laughs) Yes, that's very exciting. I think that is such a wonderful concept that could really transform the way we look at life as well and take action on living the best version we possibly can of our lives. Yeah. Watch this space. I'm very excited. Yeah, me too. And so now we've come to the finale. So I have a few quick fire questions to end the show. So what's your most treasured possession? And of course, no judgment. Oh, I would say it's actually this little pen that I have. Oh, So I've noticed that having lost both of my parents in the last three years, anytime I find something that they either gave me or somehow I acquired that reminds me of them or is from them, just means so much. And this pen is actually a pen my cousin, who himself died young, gave to my mother and had it engraved. And so it's a gold pen and I sort of keep it safe. I use it when I write cards. It's just that lovely reminder of her and him. Yeah, I find that I'm much more sentimental in my old age with the items that really mean something. And what's your favorite article of clothing or accessory in your current wardrobe? Oh, this is so tough. I have to pick one. Mm -mm -mm. I would say it's a shirt that I bought. It's one that I've worn to a couple of facilitation and speaking gigs. Yeah, it's just really colorful. It feels really comfortable. It's got that form and function thing going as well as the beauty. Yeah, I just love it. And what color is it? So it's got a number of crazy colors in it. It's kind of got like a cream base and then lots of blue. I always love lots of blue. 
no surprise with the blue hair. <laughs> and then a little bit of purple as well. It's very, very colourful. So I love colourful shirts and dresses. That's one of my things is just to kind of mix it up with a lot of colour. And where do you go to get inspired? Oh, I watch comedy shows. Are you familiar with the show Fleabag? Oh, I love Fleabag. I'm a huge mm. Phoebe Waller-Bridge fan, so yeah. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> I actually got to meet her. Ooh. Oh, you might have to tell a little anecdote about that then. <laughs> <laughs> These are meant to be quick fire questions. But... Yeah. <laughs> so I am also obsessively bag fan. And it's something I go to to just admire the comedic genius. Because again, she's also somebody that deals with death in a lot of her writing. And she has that way of dealing with it where she's having you face it, but she's doing it through levity and comedy. And yeah, I, I think it's genius. And so I can't tell you the number of times I've watched both series. And I also saw the live show in London. Oh, oh, I'm jealous. I'm officially jealous. <laughs> yeah, and got to meet her afterwards. And it was one of the biggest gifts that my husband gave me because he set that all up and we had a wonderful evening. Oh, She's amazing. She's more incredible in person. You know, I also think Ricky Gervais's show Afterlife was a really, really great look at death in a fresh way with lots of comedy, but lots of heart in both of those shows. That's kind of where I go for inspiration, especially during the pandemic, where we haven't yeah. been able to get out and about and go to live shows. And then also from my husband, like, I'll come up with an idea for comedy, and he helps me write it. And so we spark a lot off each other, where we'll develop ideas, and we'll kind of bake the idea between us over a few days. I find it very inspiring to have that partnership to bounce ideas off and just have that back and forth. Because you know, as much as I love my cats, they don't <laughs> offer a lot in that department. No. <laughs> they can only do so much when it comes to comedy. Although the internet will tell you another story. <laughs> I know, I know. But they're not really impressed with my comedy. No. <laughs> no. In fact, I have been rehearsing for Zoom gigs by rehearsing in front of my cats because there's no tougher audience. So if I can make it through with the cats yawning and walking off, you know, <laughs> looking very unimpressed. Then I can do a Zoom gig with everyone on mute. Genius advice for any aspiring comics out there. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Pam's top tip. <laughs> rehearse in front of your cats. My husband said, you know, do you want to rehearse in front of me? I'm like, no, you're, you're going to smile and laugh. <laughs> no, 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 no. I, I can't have it. <laughs> And what's one book or resource that you'd recommend for everyone? Oh, the app called We Croak. Oh. And it will send you five times a day a reminder that you're going to die. Quotes, funny sayings. It's brilliant. So simple, yet so brilliant. And it does it in a, a way that it's sort of inspiring as opposed to uh, dragging you down. Yes. 
They're really interesting. Yeah, I love it. I think it's genius. And here's a very KonMari question for you. So what are you grateful for? Oh, so much, so much. I am grateful for this and you inviting me to join you on your show and having a chance to talk about one of my favorite subjects for a couple of hours is just amazing. And then I'm also really grateful for my friends. I have a group of coaches, we call ourselves the Fab Seven. And once a month we meet and we've just started being able to meet again at each other's house. And we've been doing it for, I think over 10 years and they're coming to my house tonight. I'm hosting the Fab Seven tonight. (laughs) Just really grateful for the friendship and love and fun and good wine and hot fries. (laughs) (laughs) That's all you need. Yep. And finally, Pam, what do you love most about life? I love love most. I mean, it is just incredible that we can be in relationship with each other and be so connected and bring so much to each other's day-to-day experience. And, you know, when we mess up, I love repairs. I love the power of a repair in a relationship, how it can make it stronger. But to me, leadership is an act of love. Most of what we do in our businesses for our clients is an act of love. Absolutely. Love and connection really are the keys to life, aren't they? Yeah. And when people get to the end of life, most of their realizations about what's important is that love and connection are what really matters. And so if we can know that earlier, it really changes the decisions we make and not sweating the small stuff and what the priorities are. And I I think having that clarity for me has been really rich. Well, Pam, it's been an absolute pleasure. I'm so delighted to have you on the show to chat about being in touch with your mortality and tapping into what you need each day and yeah, having that connection with the people around you. So thank you so much. Oh, thank you so much. It's been just so much fun and I really, really am grateful. Thank you. Pleasure. Hope you enjoyed that chat with leadership coach and comedian Pam Dibbs. Be sure to check out the extended show notes on alsoinpink.com. There are some wonderful photos, including one of Pam having a fashion moment with Princess Diana. So here are some key takeaways from our conversation. Our time here is limited, and we all need to have some kind of relationship with death. Bring that into your decision-making. Use your mortality to live the best possible life you can live now. Ask yourself, if you knew this was the last job you'd ever take, would you take it? And if this was the last day, week, or month of your life, how would you spend it? 
And remember, the results you get are perfect for the system you have created. So if you're feeling overworked and overwhelmed, explore what it is you've done to create that and what can you do about it. Yes, you always have a choice and you can always change your mind. And isn't humor a wonderful thing? See if you can find something each day that really makes you laugh. That's our show then. Thank you so much for listening. I'm Alexandria and this is Also in Pink, the podcast all about lifestyle design. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe to Also in Pink wherever you get your podcasts. And the absolute best way to show your support is to write a review on Apple Podcasts or iTunes. This really helps more than anything to promote the show. And of course, tell all your friends. Thank you so much for your support. Until next time, have a wonderful week. Redefine what's possible and create your ideal life.